Today we're beginning a brand new series called Emotions. You know, as our nation and planet continue fighting the COVID-19 outbreak, in addition to the negative consequences that come from the virus itself, there are some other unintended consequences that I think may actually have a, a bigger long-term impact. We've been in isolation now for a little over a month, and the emotional toll that that can take on people is just absolutely huge. From anxiety about your own health or the health of your loved ones to worries about if you're going to lose your job or how you're going to continue to pay your bills, these things can begin to take a real emotional toll. And then suddenly when your emotions are all out of whack, that can lead to poor sleeping or eating patterns. You can find yourself more agitated or angry than normal. And perhaps you find yourself more tempted towards things like drugs or alcohol, overeating, pornography, or other things that you think are going to help you to cope. But in reality, you're just going to make things even worse. All of these things just stacked one on top of another then can start to lead to depression and, and angry outbursts like you've never had before. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is look at how to bring our emotions under control. Because if you think about it, emotions determine how happy you feel about life, how much you enjoy your life, how you see the world, and even how you treat other people. So virus or no virus, isolation or no isolation, this is an area of life that really we need to learn to figure out because the truth of the matter is this. Emotions are not usually the problem. They're just indicators of what the problem truly is. In other words, emotions tell us what it is that's really going on in our heart. So today I want to start with a pretty common emotion. And this is one that many of you are actually dealing with even before the virus struck. And that is anxiety. Many of you worry about things like money and relationship issues. You stress about stress out about your job or, you know, just going to the doctor for a routine visit freaks you out. You worry about raising your kids or the failing health of your parents. Maybe you get anxious thinking, am I a good friend, a good employee? Am I even a good follower of Jesus? And really, if you think about it, at the root of many sins is anxiety. If you're anxious about money, you're more likely to steal. If you're anxious about this virus, then you're going to hoard toilet paper and keep things for yourself. If you're like, you know, worried about getting a, a promotion at work or something, then you're going to look to your own interests instead of looking to the interests of your coworkers. If you're worried about your own self-image, you're more likely to tell lies in order to make yourself look better. And the list goes on and on and on. And so today what I want to do is look at what Jesus had to say about worry is found in Matthew chapter six. Now, this comes right in the middle of his famous Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures are going to be provided here on the screen for you. Or if you click the button here in the upper right hand corner that says talk notes, you'll have access to not just the scriptures I'm going to talk about today, but also all the main points I'm going to make in the message, as well as some life application questions that you and your family can later go back and discuss this week. Now, before we actually get into the scripture here, I want to talk uh, a little bit uh, about emotions in the, the sense of throwing in a caveat. You know, with any emotion, there can sometimes be other factors that are at play other than it just being a pure spiritual problem. See, our bodies and souls are intertwined. And so if you've experienced abuse in the past or the present, or you've been through some sort of really traumatic event, or if chemically your body and mind are out of balance, then you may need to consult with a counselor or a doctor to help you with those issues. And there's nothing wrong with that. In this series, though, I'm going to be primarily talking about the spiritual root causes of the different emotions we face and how to overcome them from a, a spiritual perspective and, and standpoint. All right, so with all that said then, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the, the story. And Jesus is going to talk about worry and anxiety. And again, this is a part of a larger set of teachings that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And what's fascinating is what Jesus was talking about right before worry. Look at what he has to say here in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, 
Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, recently at Exponential, we wrapped up a, a series called Economy, which was all about how to get out of debt, how to stay out of debt, how to save up for emergencies, how to invest in your future, and then how to become radically generous as well. By the way, if that's of interest to you, you can watch all the videos from that series on both our Exponential Church Facebook page, as well as on our YouTube channel. Now, we ended up taking five weeks to, to go through this whole series. And the reason we took so long is because Jesus knew that money was going to be the number one competitor that he would have for your heart. Remember, he said here, you can't serve both God and money. And so since he knows it's such a big deal for us, it's the thing that he talks about right before then he discusses anxiety and worry and fear. You see, Jesus knows that worry is not just an emotion that naturally arises from the uncertainties that we have of life. No, worry is always directly connected to our deepest desires and is a major factor that then keeps us from having the awesome relationship with God that we so desperately desire. And, you know, that leads me to my first point I want to make here today. So point number one, anxiety will cause me to think too little of God. You know, the, the more we think about other things, the less that means by default that we're thinking about God. And the more devoted we are to other things, then the more we're going to tend to worry. Let me say that again. The more devoted you are to something, the more you're going to worry about it. Let me prove this to you. You know, right now, I am not worried about your kids missing the rest of the school year. Now, don't get me wrong. I love your kids and I feel bad for your parents who are having to sort of figure out this whole homeschooling thing on the fly. But I'm not worried about it personally because they're not my kids. I am not devoted to them in the same way that you are. In the same way, if you ask me to pray about something, like something about your job, maybe. I will pray about it, and I hope it all turns out well for you. But I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Why? Because I'm not devoted to your job like you are. So again, we worry most about what it is that we're most devoted to. So Jesus starts this whole conversation talking about money and possessions. And then he says this in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food or clothing? That word, therefore, points us back to what Jesus had just talked about, money and possessions. He says, look, if you are devoted to money, then you're going to worry about it. If you think money is the secret ingredient to the good life, then you're going to always be worrying about how do I get more and how do I keep more and how do I make sure that nobody takes it from me? And then he asks a great question. Isn't life more than about money and stuff? Is money really what defines the good life? Jesus then goes on in verses 26 to 29 to give a couple of examples to help to illustrate for us why not to worry about money, but to instead fully rely on God. Look at what he says. Look at the birds in the, the sky. They don't plant or harvest. They don't even store grain in barns. Yet your Father in heaven takes care of them. Aren't you worth more than birds? Can worry make you live longer? Why worry about clothes? Look at the wildflowers grow. They don't work hard to make their clothes. But I tell you that Solomon, with all of his wealth, wasn't as well clothed as one of them. He says, look, birds don't worry. They just trust God. And flowers, they don't worry about, man, do I look pretty or not? Because they know that it's God that's going to do that for them. Now, the point here isn't that we should never save or use money to buy nice things for ourselves. 
The point is we can never be so devoted to money that we think that it's our primary source of security or beauty or significance. Jesus is saying those types of things all come in our relationship with him and our trust needs to be in him and in him alone. You know, anytime you're worrying, it means that you're not thinking God is big enough to handle your needs. And basically what you've done is you've just crowded him right out of your life. Now, in this story, you know, Jesus used money as the example, but he could have just as easily have said, don't worry about your parenting. Look at the birds in the sky. They, they just push their kids right out of the nest and say, fly, little birdie, fly. And their kids turn out all right, because God makes sure that those kids know what they need to know when they need to know it. Now, you know, and all these things, whether it be money or parenting, your, your career, your marriage, your schooling, you know, whatever it is that we tend to worry about, God is not telling us just to sit back and do nothing. No, you still need to do the work. You still need to be obedient in whatever area God is asking you to be obedient in. Jesus' point is this, you do the work and then trust God for the result. Let me say that again. You do the work, but then don't get all stressed out about the result. If you'll be faithful to do your part, God will be faithful to do his. And this is so important to be reminded of right now during this pandemic. He is God and you are not. And while things may feel like they're out of control, they're not. We may not yet see how he's going to get the victory through this virus in time of quarantine, but trust me, he will. So don't worry about it. Again, do your part. Wash your hands. You know, uh, don't touch your face. Stay six feet away from other people. And, you know, only go out when you have to go out. I mean, a part of you doing your part is don't go out in public unless you absolutely have to. Do your part by not hoarding supplies. Do your part by praying and seeking ways that you can safely help others. But other than that, trust him. Because when you don't, you're thinking of him too little and about him too little. Point number two, anxiety will cause me to forget how much God cares about me. You know, back in verse 26, Jesus talked about how God cares for the birds of the air. And then he asked the great question. He says, aren't you worth more than the birds of the air? And he's talking about how beautiful the flowers are. And in verse 30, then he says this. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that they're here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? What Jesus is saying is, since God cares so much for the lesser things like plants and animals, and he cares so much that he provides for them in such incredible ways and with such detail, what makes you think that he's not going to go into that same kind of detail in your life, considering how much more important you are to him? I mean, think about that. Aren't you more important than animals and, and flowers? Of course you are. The Apostle Paul, he touches on this in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Here's what Paul writes. God didn't spare his own son, but handed him over to death for all of us. Since God did this, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? You know, I've heard other pastors call this the, the principle of from greater to lesser. Let me illustrate it for you this way. If someone right now came and gave you a house, I mean, literally, they gave you a house. Don't you think they'd also be willing to give you, say, toilet paper for that house? I know some of you are going... Gilbert, haven't you seen what's going on out there right now? Uh, what's going on? The fight over toilet paper that went viral around the world. I just want one pack. No, not one pack. Okay, good point. I mean, uh, during normal times, if someone gives you something of great value like a house, they'll also be willing to give you something of much lesser value like toilet paper. 
or here, here's another example. Imagine someone gifted you with four tickets for you and your friends to join them right on the 50-yard line to the Penn State versus Ohio State game this fall. Now, personally, I'd much rather watch paint dry while also having my kidneys removed than to have to endure watching a Penn State game. But I know for some of you, you're in the Penn State for whatever sick, perverted, twisted reasons that you have. And so for you, this would actually be a great gift. Don't you think that if someone actually gifted that to you, that during the middle of the game, if you got hungry, you could lean over to them and say, hey, could you buy me a hot dog? Wouldn't they do that? Of course they would. If they're willing to do the big thing, like giving you the tickets, then surely they're willing to do the small thing, like buying you a hot dog. So what Paul is saying here is that God has already done the big thing. He gave his son Jesus for us on the cross. So why are you doubting that God will do everything else for you as well? Why are you doubting that he'll take care of you during this virus? Why are you doubting that he's going to take care of your health? Why is it that right now some of you are doubting that he's going to take care of your finances and that you'll be okay if you are unemployed? Why are you doubting that he'll take care of your broken relationships? Why are you doubting that he wants to forgive you of your sin? Why are you doubting that he has a plan and a purpose for your life? Listen, if he already took care of the big thing, surely he will take care of the smaller, lesser things for you as well. Guess what I'm saying is this. Anxiety is a completely irrational response if you're truly a follower of Jesus. Because anxiety is you saying or thinking or feeling that God can't handle my situation right here and right now. One of the things you know I keep saying over and over when it comes to this pandemic is my prayer is that the same thing that Joseph talked about in Genesis chapter 50 would, would happen for us, that what Satan has meant for evil, God would turn around and use it for good. And so perhaps one of the reasons that God is allowing this pandemic to continue to stretch on is because he is trying to get your attention. That this is the moment where you have got to decide once and for all, do I believe in God or not? Do I, I truly trust him at all times and in all ways or not? You see, anxiety exposes that perhaps your faith isn't quite as strong as what you thought that it was. And that's why Jesus then says this in Matthew 6, 32. Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Now, listen, I'm not here today to say that you're not a Christian. But what I am here today to say is this. You may be a Christian, but oftentimes you're acting more like an atheist. And Jesus says it's people who don't know him that are constantly worried about things, but that you and I shouldn't be that way. Why? It's because we have a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us. In fact, he cares more about you than you even care for yourself. And he's promised never to leave you, never to abandon you, never to forsake you and to supply all of your needs. So for all of us here today, please stop acting like an atheist. Let's look at something else Paul talked about. In Philippians 4, 6 to 7, here's what Paul writes. Never worry about anything, but in every situation, let God know what you need in prayers and requests while giving thanks. Then God's peace, which goes beyond anything we can imagine, will guard your thoughts and emotions through Christ Jesus. Not only in this passage here with Paul are you commanded not to worry, but four different times in the words that we've been looking at today with Jesus, we're commanded not to worry as well. And in fact, did you know that 
fear not is the most repeated command found in all of scripture. Did you know that? It is. 366 different times you and I are told to fear not, which is actually pretty cool because here in 2020, we had a leap year, which means that there's one new fear not command for us to follow every single day of the year. Fear not. Now, the only way that command is going to make any sense is if the one who is commanding you to do it is also the one who has the power to take care of the very things that you're worried about. Think about it this way. If I invite you to go out to lunch, but you say, oh, Gilbert, I can't, I don't have any money on me right now. But I said to you then, ah, you know, don't worry about it. What is it that I'm actually trying to communicate to you? What is it? It's that I plan to pay for it, right? And let me ask you another question. During that lunch, would you be worried about, oh my goodness, how am I going to pay for my lunch? How, how am I going to, what am I going to do when the, the waitress gives me the bill? No, of course you wouldn't. Why? Because Gilbert promised to take care of it for you. Now, when the bill comes, if I didn't pay for it, then my words would have just simply been a cruel joke that I played on you. And so here's what you have to ask yourself today. When God commands you, do not worry about anything. Do you think he's just playing a cruel joke on you? Or do you truly take him at his word that he has everything under control? You know, instead of worrying, he says, pray about it. And while you're praying about it, give thanks to God. In other words, you know, God, our, our world is in chaos right now, but I thank you that you have everything under control. God, my, my finances are a mess and I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my bills, but God, I thank you that you have promised that you're going to supply all of my needs. God, my, my marriage is struggling, but thank you for the wisdom that's found in your word that shows me how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife. And God, thank you that I'm alive another day here to, to live out your word and to try to turn this relationship around. You know, too many Christians, I think, make prayer basically just their normal worried thoughts, but now pointed in the general direction of the ceiling. What Paul's talking about here, though, is taking those worried thoughts and instead laying them down at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, this burden is too great for me. I can't carry it anymore. So here I'm giving it to you. And, and Jesus, I thank you in advance for the answer that you have already promised that you're going to give to me. Paul says, when you do that, wow, a peace which surpasses all human comprehension will suddenly come upon you, and that peace will guard your heart and your mind and your emotions. And remember this, as you're praying those prayers, God's ways and our ways are not always the same. In other words, he may not answer your prayer in the way that you wanted him to answer your prayer. But what this passage assures us is this, that he is going to answer your prayer, and it's always going to be in what he knows what is best for you, not what you think is best for you. All right, one last point then I want to make today. Point number three. Anxiety is like me inviting a false prophet to come live in my mind rent-free. You know, this false prophet of anxiety will offer you false solutions, false promises, and false predictions. And Jesus talked about this all the way back in Matthew 6, 27, which we read earlier. Remember what he said? Can worry make you live longer Actually, the opposite is true, isn't it? The more you worry, the more it affects your blood pressure, your digestion, your heart, your entire nervous system. Worrying isn't adding time to your life. Worrying is actually killing you. And that's why I said anxiety is like a, a false prophet because it's promising you all these great things that just devote yourself to it, that things are going to change, but it's a lie and it's killing you. 
And, you know, speaking of lies, this false prophet tries to get you to believe things that actually are never going to take place at all. You know what I mean by that? You know, when you and I are worried, don't we tend to play out hundreds, if not thousands of possible scenarios in our head of, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if he says this? What if she does that? The truth is only one of those things is actually going to happen, but yet we have spent all this emotional time and energy playing all the scenarios out in our minds. And again, it's killing us. I heard somebody once say that anxiety is like paying interest on a debt that you may not actually even owe. Or it's like hearing threatening music on the soundtrack of your life when there actually is no danger at all. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I love movies. And when you hear music like what I have playing in the background right now in a movie, you know something scary is about to happen. Then, oh no, a monster's about to appear. Oh no, a person's about to die. Run, run, run. Wouldn't it be nice if in real life, anytime something bad was about to happen in your life, ominous music would begin to play? I mean, that'd be really cool. It would save us from all kinds of difficulties, wouldn't it? Like you, you go out on a blind date and you ask the person, so what was the highlight of your quarantine? You know, what, what, what did you do with your time? And they're like, oh, I binge watched Tiger King 47 times. I think Joe Exotic, you know, he is my new personal hero. Uh, check, please. <laughs> Or, you know, as a, a pastor, we, we get guests visiting at Exponential all the time. Imagine if the first time someone visited us, uh, I meet them out in the cafe after our worship experience. And I'm like, hey, I'm Gilbert. What's your name? And I get to, you know, making small talk with them. And then all of a sudden, as, you know, we're talking, the music starts. Wouldn't it then be so easy for me after, you know, the conversation is wrapping up to just basically go, hey, you know, it was so great to have you with us today, but... I don't think exponential is going to be a good fit for you and your family. I mean, that would make my life so much easier. And wouldn't it make life easier for you as well that the ominous music just plays anytime something bad is going to happen, but it doesn't. But yet, if you think about it, ominous music does play a lot, doesn't it? Now you don't hear it, but in our hearts and minds, the ominous music plays all these times when it is not needed. You see, we're so often worrying about things that simply just are not going to happen. Again, anxiety is like a false prophet. Look at how Jesus addresses this in verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. It will take care of itself. Jesus says, look, there's going to be some legit worrisome things that are going to happen when tomorrow arrives. But guess who else is going to be there when tomorrow arrives? Take a guess. Yeah, Jesus. So don't worry about tomorrow. Just ask God to give you the strength to get through today. You see, he isn't concerned with the 999 things that are not going to happen to you tomorrow. And you know why he isn't concerned? It's because they're not going to happen. So rely on him today for the one or two things that are going to happen. Now, I love how God taught the, the, the people of Israel this principle of how to trust him in this way. You know, after they had escaped from Egypt, there was a period of time where God had them out in the desert and he was teaching them how to trust him at all times and in all ways to, to fully give their lives to him. And so when it came to, to meals and food, he would miraculously provide it for them each morning when they woke up in what we call manna. And manna was basically like a, a vitamin packed little Ritz cracker. And they were instructed every morning, get up and collect as much manna as you need for that day, but no more. If they tried to stockpile it and hoard it like people are hoarding toilet paper, the manna would go bad and it was uneatable. The exception, though, was the day before the Sabbath where they were able to collect two days worth and it would not go bad over that two-day period. 
So the question is, what was God teaching them there? What was he teaching them? Well, he's simply teaching them, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll provide tomorrow what you need tomorrow. You do your part today and I'll do my part tomorrow. And he's teaching them that I will supply all of your needs. Our problem though today is that we want to stockpile enough contingencies so that we don't ever have to worry about tomorrow. But you know, there's really two problems with that. Here's the first one. You're never going to be able to fully prepare yourself. I mean, we ask ourselves all kinds of questions. You know, what if I get robbed? What if I catch the virus? What if I lose my job? What if my spouse dies? What if my 401k crashes? What if my boss hates me? What if my kids disown me? What if my loved one dies and, you know, after they've gotten cancer? Or what if I never get married and I'm single my whole life? And I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And see, we could just never possibly plan for every single question and have a contingency for it. And then second, not only is it impossible, but it's unnecessary as well. Because the same God you say that you trust today promises that he's going to be with you tomorrow. He's going to help you to get through the things that you didn't even see coming. You see, right now, many of you are so worried about X, Y, and Z. But the reality is none of those things are actually going to happen to you. In fact, what's going to happen to you is D, E, and F. But God is saying, don't even worry about that because I'm an A to Z kind of God. I've got whatever is needed to bring you through every single situation that you're going to face in life. You know, my point here today is this. Bad things in life will happen. Viruses that shut down the world, we've experienced, they happen. In the future, far worse things may even happen. But just because they do or they may, doesn't mean we have to worry about it because Jesus is in control and he will give you the strength to handle it today and he'll be with you tomorrow. So anxiety, it's a false prophet. And do you remember what they did to false prophets in the Old Testament? Do you remember? They stoned them to death. They killed them. And so today what I'm saying to you is kill anxiety in your life once and for all. And they're going, okay, Gord, how do I go about doing that? Well, as we start to wrap up, let's look at Jesus' words here in Matthew 6, 33. Here's what Jesus says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. You know, the answer to worry is not a trouble-free life. The answer to worry is Jesus. Seek him first and live for him, and then all of your needs will be met as well. Seek him first, and then it will be well with your soul.
Thanks so much to Allison for leading us through that beautiful rendition there and reminding us that it can be well with our soul and that he is the way maker and he is the miracle worker and he's going to be there for us each and every step of the way. Join me today in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had together to, to look at your word and to, to be able to see that we do not have to fear we don't have to let anxiety and worry rule our lives any longer, but that if we'll seek you first, your kingdom and your righteousness, then everything else in life will be provided for us. So Father, I pray that each and every one of us today, we would kill that false prophet of anxiety once and for all, that we would lay our burdens and our cares at your feet, just give them to you, and that we would do that with thanks. That thank you, God, that even in the tough times, you're changing me and molding me more and more into your image. And Lord, I know that the, the greatest peace that all of us can have, that, that peace which surpasses all understanding, is a peace that we know what's going to happen to us when we die. That we know that we would spend eternity with you in heaven. That we wouldn't have to fear death any longer. And Lord, we know that Again, you are the one that provided that for us. That you, Jesus, came to the earth and lived the perfect and sinless life that we can never live. And then you died on the cross for the life that we are living. And that as we celebrated last week at Easter, that Jesus, you rose again, victorious over sin, over disease, over even death and hell itself. 
And so we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear about going to hell. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're going to go to heaven, not because of us, but all because of you, because of your sacrificial death there on the cross. And so, Lord, I, I pray that if there's anybody that's listening today and they've never asked you to forgive them of their sin and to come in and be the leader of their lives, that, Lord, they would do that right here and right now, that they would make a commitment to follow you, that they would pray a, a simple prayer sort of like this, that, dear Jesus, thank you for living the perfect and sinless life that I can never live, and, and thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for offering up your body so that my sins could be forgiven. Jesus, I acknowledge right here and right now that I am a sinner. I have not been perfect. And I know that my, my sin deserves hell. My sin deserves punishment. But Jesus, thank you that you came and took that punishment for me. And thank you that because of your death and because of your resurrection, if I just in simple faith ask for your forgiveness and ask for your leadership, that you'll provide that for me and you'll give me the hope of eternal life with you forever. And so right now, as you continue to pray, ask him to send his spirit to come and live inside of you to lead you and guide you and direct you and ask him to help you to turn from your sins. The, the Bible would call that repentance, that you were following Satan, you were following your own way, but now you're going to turn and do things God's way. That life isn't about you anymore, that it's all about him. And so commit your life to him fully here today. And again, when you do that, his spirit will come and live inside of you. And that peace, which we talked about here this morning or this evening or this afternoon, whenever it is that you're listening or watching this, that type of peace will come upon you and you'll know that you're right with God. And then you can give your life back to him fully to serve him and honor him all the days of your life. Jesus, thank you that again, we don't have to worry about tomorrow, that tomorrow will take care of itself, that we just have to do our part today in whatever it is that you call us to do. And so help all of us to have the attitude of, God, I'll go wherever it is you want me to go. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll give whatever it is you want me to give. And I'll serve whoever it is that you want me to serve. Because it's not about me. It's all about you. Jesus, again, thank you for what you're doing in our lives and what you're going to continue to do. And I pray this all in your precious and holy name. The name of Jesus. Amen.